Hello and welcome to the Goals Allowed podcast. In tonight's show, we'll be discussing who we think the best ever promoted team is. Uh, I'm joined tonight by Shane. Hello. And Nick. Hello. Sheffield United have had a pretty amazing season, to put it bluntly. Um, played 28, 43 points, um, works out 58 points if you go on points per game over a season. It's they've been amazing this season, haven't they? Bit good, aren't they? I think what's even more amazing about them is, unlike other teams who've come up and done really well, is they haven't really spent. They've kept their same team and they've done this well through sheer technical ability, hard work and playing good football, coming into games and approaching things in the right sort of tactical style. And the thing that really annoys me is when people compare them to Burnley, nothing like Burnley. Sheffield United are an attacking team. They attack even the big boys. It's, I love watching them play. I really do. I completely agree. And I think one man who just deserves all the credit going is Chris Wilder. Mm. Um, you even just look take uh, take away Sheffield United for a second. The jobs he's done everywhere he's been. I mean, he's, he's classic worked his way up. He couldn't have worked his way more up the Football League sort of thing. Did really well with Halifax in the conference. Really well with Oxford. Got them into the Football League. Did superb with Northampton. I believe they had lots of financial difficulties at the time as well. And they smashed League Two. Then obviously joined his boy, boyhood club, uh, Sheffield United, and taken them from League One right up into the Premier League and and in the Premier League like Shane said it's not like they've been I mean it really really angers me when people compare them to like a, a Burnley like a, your classic sort of British team that will just lairs to park the bus kick lumps out of you completely far from it the the football Chris Wilder's got them playing is, is superb it's a very very unique style of play and it, and the fact is they've kept the way they've been playing as well from the championship straight up into the Premier League and also like Shane said not not added, not spent money they've, they've, added, they've added sensibly they've added a couple in like your Ollie McBurney which is a, a good sign for a chip, sort of um, somebody who did really well in the championship last season and um, they've been a joy to watch and, and absolutely deserve all the, all the credit going with, with Wilder, I seem to recall he got 100 points or something like that for North yeah. or something crazy like that. But also with Sheffield United last year, it was nobody expected them to go up. I went to a few of their games. I've got a mate who's a season ticket holder, and it was just, you know, the, the belief, you know, the start of the season, it was like, you know, let's just hope we have a good season. But then there was such belief as the season went on that they, you know, they could do it. And it was incredible that they did, really, given the squad they had comparatively. Well, absolutely. I mean, you look at some of the players as well. Like, I mean, Billy Sharp as well is a good example. Someone who was sort of, you looked at it a few seasons ago, someone who was just falling. You get these with a lot of strikers who just slowly drop down the leagues and find a league where their sort of age and their abilities sort of drops down too. With him, it's quite the opposite. And they managed to sort of get him back up and uh, become a Premier League striker and, and a very good one as well. And um, as well as last season, I think the whole of last season, it was just the case of, oh, um, Sheffield United would drop off, Sheffield United would drop off, it'll be Leeds and um, ooh, Norwich. Norwich, it'll be Leeds and Norwich, it'll be there at the end of the season. I think everyone's just waiting for, for Sheffield United to fade away and they never did. And in the end, they got their, they got their just rewards. Yeah. Well, you think about the team as well and you've got players like Jack O'Connell and Egan and... Um... And Lundstrom, who's a fantasy football legend, and you know, so and, <laughs> but it's it's amazing that you think that they're the heroes of the team, not like a you know like a foreign player who's come in who's done decent in you know like a French or German league or somewhere like that. It's it's actually the same squad near enough, apart from with one or two additions, Sander Burge and Lismuse and a few others, and it's it's incredible the job really. 
It is, and um, even players as well, like who, um, again, like players like Ollie Norwood's a good example as well. Someone yeah. who I believe got promoted three times in the trot. Well, obviously, Brighton signed him. He was a bit part player there. He was the number three centre midfielder, and then Fulham signed him, and he was did the exact same job like he was Brighton of being that bit part player for Fulham. He was sort of backup, I believe, to sort of your Kevin McDonalds, uh, Tom Kearney's, and what have you. But he's such a good player that they, the clubs could bring in. But Sheffield United have almost taken him to that another level where he is. He is the man. He's not. He's not the sort of one that slips in. He's one that's the, one of the first names on the team sheet, and he's he, he's been excellent as well. And um, you can use that example for you build off a few of them there as well with the defence. O'Connell, uh, Egan, Basham, they they've all taken it, and they, they they've all been absolutely fantastic. And I think as well, it again it all stems down to simply to the manager. I really think the manager deserves that much credit, and not, not taking anything away from the players, but. Um, I, I don't think Wilder gets enough credit in my in my opinion. Mm. I think that's the thing. The saddest thing, if if this season is null and void or whatever, is that Sheffield United won't be playing in Europe this next season. That's that's the one. That's the thing for me. Like, I, I think it'd be hilarious if Liverpool don't win the league, but I, I would feel really sorry for Sheffield United if if they said it's void and all whatever and and yeah, because I'd love to see European football there next year. I think it'd be great. Um. Anyway, um, we want to talk about whether this Sheffield United side are the best ever promoted side. So, um, so yeah, I've, I've got a couple of couple of thoughts uh, myself. Um, I mean, you could go way back for starters and look at teams like Blackburn in ninety two ninety three. You finished fourth in the league. Um, Newcastle and Nottingham Forest as well. The two subsequent seasons, both uh, they finished third as well. So, um, do you think maybe Sheffield United? Um, achievements are bigger now given the financial implication you know disparities in the squads and all that that was was one of the big points I was going to make it's all a little bit relative if you go back to what is it 1978 I think it was when Nottingham Forest won the league under Brian Clough promoted from the second division first division they win the league you've got a lot more fluidity between where clubs can finish because of the space between the super big clubs and the not super big clubs is a little bit lesser you still had much bigger clubs than other clubs, but there was it was easier to bridge that gap, especially with the finances. Now, go back to the 90s, I think it's, it's, obviously it's more of a case now that the finances are a bigger impact, but what Newcastle did under Kevin Keegan is still utterly astonishing, and the big boys were pretty well established there. They were different big boys, but it was still quite well established for them to do what they did, and to do it in the style they did it. That's, again, a kind of astonishing thing. I always look forward to watching that one on Premiership years. But, uh, what was it, 93-94 season? I think that's kind of incredible. But I think if you are looking at it relatively, and you're thinking in terms of the, a team coming into the league when it's going to be the toughest to be that league coming into the team, coming that team coming into the league, sorry. And as well, when you look at what that team did and how they went about it, I do actually think Sheffield United are in there with a real shout, assuming that they end the season or the season ends mostly with them being where they are, because I don't think there's ever been a greater disparity between the top division and the next divisions. I don't think there's ever been more money in football or a more established set of big teams. And I've never seen a team play really good football, barely spend any money and do it in this way, in this fashion. That, for me, does make Sheffield United, when I'm talking relatively, the biggest achieving uh, newly promoted team. But if I was going on sort of outright where I wasn't doing relative, I would say it's about Newcastle team of 93-94. Mm. 
Mm. Well, also as well with that Shepherd's Night one, another thing is um, at the start, I would like to go back and look through through the, all the better nods because I was quite interesting. But for me, from um, from another sort of a fan of the team in the league, Shepherd's Night, my number one team that you just presume would end bottom. You look at it and go, well, okay, what are the three teams we can finish above? Well, naturally everyone would go right. Shepherd's Night are the obvious ones to go down, and. As I say, they've certainly made me eat my words and loads of other people eat their words because, um, again, I think it's just that that sort of that tagline they got given about they are going to be this sort of uh, like a, a poor version of Burnley, so to speak. And again, they were completely far from it and um, just a very good team. I'm going to take a bit of pride in Sheffield United and my one good prediction for this season. I said to everyone, they're a lot better than people think they are, and they are not the team people think they are. It's the one thing I got right. I got pretty much everything else completely wrong. So. No, no, it's a great shout. And to be fair, the only thing that puts the only thing that, that I know, obviously from last year they were good, but you forget about the big step up from the Championship to the Premier League. But the fact they they didn't add that much Premier League experience in as well. Um, again, this is just gives them more even that even more credit that they deserve. It's just the fact that the lack of signings really did make me think they're just going to end bottom because of the, because of the lack of experience that they had in the um, uh, in in the squad. But again, I think it, I think we also Chevrolet is another good example. You've seen it over the years of a few other clubs that you don't, I think we're actually moving away from this cliche that you need to have Premier League experience. I think actually if you can keep sort of your whole system going, your whole philosophies of how your your style of football playing that. That's actually more important than actually signing some old sort of cloggers that have been around that might help the gesture. And obviously, it's nice to have one. And I think they got that right with getting someone like Phil Jagielka. And whilst he's not played that many minutes at all, he's probably been so, so key around the change rooms on a match day and what have you. Um, do you think the fact that, you know, the others would give the other sides that have gone up, Sheffield United were sort of billed as the, you know, the Huddersfield or the Wigan or the Blackpool of the sides coming up, you know, the no-hopers that were... Nailed on to finish bottom, sort of thing. Well, absolutely, and again, big side. Absolutely, again, it, I think again as well. It goes that I'll throw my hands up completely. You could even argue it's a bit of almost a bit of lazy journalism on that on that past that people are just presuming Sheffield United are gonna uh, are gonna be like that. Whereas Shane's obviously clearly looked at the big picture of how obviously how well they were playing the championship and how they've how they turned over a lot of the teams, but. Um, mm. For me, as I say, I just feel the reason they were presumed to be the in the no hopers was of the lack of signs and the, again lack of experience. But again, maybe it's maybe we and maybe and maybe just sort of the whole sort of journalism process of, of teams that come up. I think it could even be a bit outdated of just presuming so if the sides don't have Premier League experience, they will struggle. Absolutely, and the thing is, it's so much about perception that reality almost doesn't matter. I still talk to people now about Sheffield United and they say, yeah, they're a really good defensive team, aren't they? It's like, what are you, do you have you ever actually watched the game? And they go, yeah, of course I've watched the game. And I'm thinking, you can't possibly have watched the game because they do not play defensive football. They've got expansive fullbacks who get right up the pitch. They play Standard a passing well. game. Yeah, they play a passing <laughs> game. They absolutely nail the set pieces and they get the ball into the box. They are an attacking team. They are not a defensive team. And I think a lot of people, it's just a case of, oh, it's Sheffield United. That's like a, a really English club. And it's always the case of the English managers and the English players. It's like, oh, it's less fancy. It's less attacking. It's less entertaining. And I think it's such mind-numbing bollocks at this point. Uh, who's, who's the biggest assist maker in the Premier League this season? It's a right-back who's English, right? Okay, Ford, it's, Bulldog. <clears throat> and right who, is, yeah, who has consistently been one of the highest-scoring strikers in the last years? Harry Kane. Right? It's this whole perception 
about like this Englishness or this Britishness in the teams, that means they are going to be defensive. They're going to be Sam Allardyce football, essentially. And it is utterly untrue these days. If you remember when Burnley had that really good season a few years ago, even they were playing some quite expansive football. They knew when to sit back and defend, but they knew when to go forward. It was, it's a bit... It's similar to Jose Mourinho getting a lot of criticism for playing defensive football when everyone forgets the very good football that Jose Mourinho teams did play as well because mm. they had to play defensive football and they, they understood that you don't play the same way every single game. Sometimes you've got to adjust your tactics. Mm. I think I think a bit of jealousy maybe even falls into that. Why? Like, I think it's just because, well, for me personally, I'd love it if my club played, played, as, played as well as Sheffield United. But I think it could even it could even be a bit of jealousy from other clubs that they have, a lot of sides sort of think they have this right that they should be doing better than Sheffield United. Um, so I think it could even be a potential bit of jealousy that clubs just look, oh yeah, it's just Sheffield United, they just sit back and defend when, as you're right, they, they certainly don't. And when they do, they do it very well. So... Um, no, again, I think, again, that falls into a bit of lazy journalism and a, a bit of jealousy from other football fans, in, in my opinion. I, I think it's pure ignorance. I think it's a lot of people who say, oh, yeah, I've seen Jeff and I play, who've just not seen them, who are only watching, like, the big teams play. And we always assume that, like, sports journalists are going to be immune from that. They're, they watch everything. They know everything about the game. They're just people. And they make None mistakes. And sometimes they'll, it's a bit like everyone here has once claimed to have read a book they've not read. <laughs> Everyone has done it. And it's going to be the same thing in football, claim to have watched a team they don't actually watch or have only watched in like the big games they play in, where it's a very different kind of thing. I feel like it's a lot of a case that with Sheffield United that they're not realising how this team plays because they just assume it is a certain way. And if you if you actually look at the odds on the amount of averages of newly promoted teams to get relegated, in the last 20 years, it's got close to, on average, two newly promoted teams will get relegated a season. The 20 years before that, it was less than one on average. So that's the level of space we're looking at between how much that gap has grown, which is why I do think you have to be relative and say, for, for clubs doing really well more at the moment, it's a bigger achievement because you've got so much more to battle against. The, the other couple of sides I wrote down are Ipswich finishing fifth in 2000-2001, which is sort of a, you know, um, before the big boys, but sort of when the big boys were announced. So, yeah, but, but any team with Titus Bramble at centre-back who finishes fifth, I think, deserves some credit. Uh, but Wolves, <laughs> last year was, Wolves last year as well. I mean, whether you say playing style comes into the equation, I mean, they, they, they're they sort of a bit like Sheffield United and with, the you know, the three at the back, but they were really attacking side you know Ooh. more attacking than I think they, they, they do sit in against the big sides but against the smaller sides they really have a go and uh, you know they're great to watch I, think. I can't argue the Wolves case because it's a bit like saying Man City aren't they one of the best promoted sides ever yeah yeah it's really good but they just pumped money until they got there and anybody yeah, can exactly. do that any any team can do that it, it's the difference of teamwork application of you know clever tactics good ability that you've, you've developed it yourself for the most part and I, I think yeah whilst you've got to acknowledge those who are who are spending money smartly and you've got to give credit to someone to a team like Wolf spending money well compared to a team like Man United for instance who are not spending money well but I think it's if you buy an achievement it's not as big as if you earn an achievement and I think the difference is Wolves have bought their success they wouldn't have had it if they hadn't done this they wouldn't have even had the manager wouldn't have had the players wouldn't have had any of it Sheffield United earned it, and I think that's for me the big difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I do agree. I don't want to take too much away from Wolves because I think they have been outstanding in the Premier League, and they've been a very good side to watch, very enjoyable to watch. 
but yeah, it, it is down to money at the end of the day. The difference to them and Sheffield United is simply money. Sheffield United have earned it. Wolves have spent a lot of money. Uh, but again, money has to be spent, but it also has to be delivered as well. And the players they've brought have been fantastic for that football club. Jimenez, I think, is one of the best strikers. We've said about him on the show before. I don't think he gets enough credit. Uh, Ruben Neves in the middle, outstanding. Joao Martino in the middle as well, outstanding. Adama Tyoro as well, brought him in, but they've actually developed him as well, given when he first joined, he was sort of this typical winger who would have a lot of pace but no end ability, sort of like a bit like your Aaron Aaron Lennon's back in back in the day. But even at the back as well, they've um, they've done very well. Connor Cody's been outstanding for He's them. Quality. Willie Bowley, I think, has been a great sign, and he's been been a proper leader for them. And um, and Patricia and Goal, I think, there's even talk people say people, when you sort of seen these Carragher challenges of, of putting your teams, he's actually been in a lot of people's teams that you do see around as well, Patricio. So he's fought very highly in in the game, and obviously at international level as well. He's a Portugal international, so. Um, whilst they have spent money together, they've they put together a very good team. And, and as well, I think as well, their recruitment is very good. They do sign players that will generally fit into their style of play. They don't just sort of, well, um, they don't just see someone, a big name's available, they'll go and get him. They will get the right players as well, which I think does deserve a lot of credit for that as well. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't want to like completely knock Wolves because as you said, what they've done is they've had an approach they can't have had any other approach, and they've executed it enormously successfully. Their transfer policies have been brilliant. The players they've signed have been brilliant, and they've, they've developed through some of their own talent alongside it. So I can't argue against the successful execution of a, of a strategy, because there is no counter-argument. If you, if you look at especially things like QPR spending money and failing, you can do it wrong. Man United spending money at the moment, and it's just not d- doing anything for them. They've improved since they've stopped spending so crazily. But for me, here's the big difference is, if you take away George Mendes and the Chinese money that's pumping into Wolves, and you, if, if you take away then those players that they've got and the manager they've got, could they have done this otherwise? I think the answer is unless they had someone like Chris Wilder, no, they couldn't have done. It's, who would they have still had managing them? Mick McCarthy? Come on, let's, let's be realistic. It's, it, they couldn't have possibly done it. It's the money that's got them where they are. That they've spent the money exceptionally well. They are an example for clubs who do spend money how you should do it. That's, they're a perfect example of how you should be spending money in the Premier League, having a proper strategy behind it and being really quite strategic in how you're approaching things. But mm. I think when you're looking at newly promoted clubs especially, any of them can pump money into it. But to do it out of sheer hard work and the correct application of tactics on the pitch, just pure good football, it's mm. so rare and it's so rare that it works. Most of the time, it's like a valiant effort, and you go down, like Norwich. It's a valiant effort, but they're still going down. But I think you almost have to really sort of separate a team like Sheffield United. They did what Burnley did coming back into the Premier League a hundred times that. To the, to, oh. the, to the nth degree, but have they executed Burnley's? We're not spending crazy strategy. And they're, they're actually going to turn around and get European football with it, potentially even Champions League. It's mental to think about it. It's absolutely mm. mad when you really try and process it in the terms of other clubs. So I think I think you do have to be relative when you look at how these clubs did it and the time it's in. And I I can't really argue against Sheffield United. I think it's it's such a decisive case. The one thing I would say is that Wolves, uh, they're currently six. They've got the same number of points as Sheffield United, and um, you know they've followed up that first season with the distraction you could say of Europa League football. They've Improved the squad, done done decent, you know, competed in Europe. They're not just using it as a throwaway competition. And 
you know, they currently sit six in the league. Um, you know, potentially we could be talking about them in the Champions League if the season resumes as well. I think it's very realistic if the season resumes that they could win the Europa League. That's an excellent side. I think they might genuinely have one of the most underrated strikers in world football in Raul Jimenez. He is brilliant. He is like cheap Harry Kane. He's a fantastic <laughs> player. He's really outstanding. They've got great players across the pitch. Connor Cody is a terrific captain. Rui Patricio is one of the most experienced goalkeepers in uh, world football at the moment. He's won a European Championship and all of that. Like, what a team they have. But like I said, it's it's sort of how they get there. I do I do feel that's as important. Other people might disagree and say, actually, no, it's just the end result. For me, if it's just re- the end result, you've almost got to look p- p- past both of these teams and say it's probably the Newcastle team of, um, what was it, 93-94, because mm. they finished third. I mean, if you're, if you're saying not include, including other teams that didn't finish in the Premier League, it's not even Forest, but under Brian Clough, they won the thing. <laughs> I mean, what more can you possibly do? So it's... Mm. If you're, if, it depends how relative you're willing to be in this, and I, I do think it's a relative thing, and I, I yeah, I just, I just can't look past Sheffield United. Okay, um, I want to ask you guys about your sides. Uh, well, first, Shane, uh, I know you're a Southampton fan, uh, obviously. Um, what, what I, I can't remember your uh, debut season in the Premier League, if you like, but what, what do you think about sort of what your side's done over the years and how you've um, had a bit of a resurgence, I'd say, under Hassanhol? Yeah, we we got promoted and. People sort of forget that that first season, we did scrape it. I can't remember if it was 16th or 17th, but we scraped it because we sacked Adkins about halfway through the season and bought in uh, Pochettino. And everyone mm. remembers how harsh it was to sack Adkins at the time. He put us through two promotions. But at the time, we had that chairman, Nicolò Cortese, who just did whatever he wanted and it always worked out. And we had our golden era under Pochettino, and we turned from a seat team that didn't get relegated, and everyone thought would still get relegated next year, and then suddenly we were now challenging for European positions. And I think we were doing it in the right way. We were developing for our own talent pipeline. We weren't spending big money, but we weren't afraid to also put our money where our mouth is. And for the most part, we got our signings right. We were a little bit like a hybrid between what Wolves are and what Sheffield United are at the moment, spending money but not you know, completely dependent on it, developing talent more for ourselves. And we had that season in the Europa League. We played into Milan, and ah, oh, it was it was amazing to be able to do that because obviously, as a Southampton fan, I've never assumed we we're going to win anything. I just sort of enjoy the losing along the way a little bit. It's kind of it's like a depressing version of it. But then it all started to go a little bit wrong when Nicola Cortese, our chairman, left, and it does highlight how important those kinds of positions in a football club can be. And suddenly, our ownership got a bit questionable. To be honest, it all started to go wrong when our owner died and then his daughter took over who didn't care one bit for the club and then got sold to some Chinese people who cared even less. And now we're on sort of this downward spiral. We're sort of um, like a mixture between Stoke and Sunderland where the last couple of years we've just avoided getting relegated, mostly by changing our manager about two months before the end of the season and going on a good run. Hassan Hootel might be turning it around, but I think the infrastructure in the club is fundamentally poor. We've got not good owners, they're not interested, they want to sell the club. We don't have a good chairman. Our chairman used to manage hockey teams, right? He's a moron. We we don't have a good infrastructure in the club, which means it's almost entirely dependent on the manager to do it. And I do think we've got the right manager, but I think it's the wrong club for him. Like, I think he could go to another club and do fantastically, amazingly well. I don't realistically think he's likely to do it at Southampton. It, like I said, it could turn around. If we got sold and we got sold to good owners, we could turn it back around. I think it's far more likely we get relegated in the next couple of years because we've got too many players who don't really care anymore. And that's the thing. We've got rid of the players who were going to play, who had that ambition because we had that ambition as a club, and now we've replaced it with 
mercenaries and players who are playing for a paycheck or are paying, playing for the move. And we haven't really got a lot of... We, we, we are fundamentally no different to how those Stoke and Sunderland teams were when they went down. All we've got at the moment is a very good manager. We lose that. He goes somewhere else or we end up sacking him because he has a bad run. We have nothing that says we should stay up. We have a couple of good players, but we have nothing more than that. And those players know they can get moved, so their heads might drop a little bit. So I think we, we were... If we had continued on the path we were on, or even just maintained it and became a Europe, you know, a European side, Europa League, I think we would have been there in an argument of one of the best promoted teams of all time in terms of like the longevity of it. Mm. But we just declined so sharply, and for reasons of poor management, really, not always in the manager, but just poor management, different people trying to take the club in different directions. We lost our identity. We lost our identity and we lost the club. That, that was the reality of the situation. I mm. think the thing I think a little bit worried about is this is going to be a nice segue into uh, Nick with Brighton is I can s- kind of see Brighton doing a very similar thing, only a little bit longer. Mm. Do you think Brighton are one of the best promoted sides, Nick? Never? Uh, certainly not ever, and uh, probably not even in the sort of top five sort of field. I think with Brighton, um, when we got promoted under Chris Hewton, good thing of us going for us, we had a very experienced manager. Um, obviously, it was we had the whole buzz of the excitement. Obviously, a brand new, well, still a relatively new stadium. Um, a stadium that does get big crowds week in, week out, so superb support. And um, so there was this massive buzz with getting into the Premier League for the first time, with, with as I say, with a very good manager as well at the helm in Chris Hewton. Um, but again, with us though, we didn't. It's sort of similar to what I said earlier about with Sheffield United. We didn't have much experience. I think the only ones that had had played in the Premier League before was sort of Glenn Murray and um, well, then we had Sidwell and Rossini, Liam Rossini, but they were they. Well, I mean, they played even played a minute in the Premier League that year, so. There was um, a lot of pressure on on sort of Glenn Murray to deliver in Europe. On obviously as the only one who's played in the Premier League, but again, it was just nice to see um, playing some very good football. Um, and and as I say, at the end of the day, it was job done with Chris Hewton. So it was very well organised. But I think in the first season, there was uh, there was generally some very good football played. There was we were actually beating teams, playing teams of the park, beat West Ham away three 0 fantastic result. So. Um, then in, in the second season, it's where it started to sort of unravel a bit under Chris Hewton, where um, I think, again, I think it's about this adapting where we were, whilst it worked very well in the first season, it started to go a bit wrong. We saw that with defeats at home against sort of Burnley, Southampton, Bournemouth. And, um, but in the end, we still stayed up. But now we've got this new revelation on Graham, Graham Potter. There's lots of talk about bringing through more youngsters. So... I think yeah, with the club, whilst it's um, it's certainly not as, uh, as of a short-term success like Sheffield United or or um, or sort of your Wolves, there's a good chance it still could be a long success. I know obviously it's hard to say at the moment with the season sort of stopping, but um, there's every chance we it could be a we could if we have this discussion again in five years, we could be using Brighton as a very good success story of coming up and and staying there and becoming a success rather than being sort of a yo-yo club. I, I think Brighton could genuinely do a bit of a Burnley because the, the, the difference I look at with Brighton compared to Southampton is Brighton do have an excellent owner, an excellent yep. backroom management. They've got re—I've got really good structure around the club. The problem is, is I don't necessarily think they're actually executing things that well. 
I think you look at that playing team, and that is genuinely one of the weakest teams in the Premier League. I don't mean to be harsh about it. You've got a couple no, no, of players. That is one of the weakest teams in the Premier League. I honestly think if this season does carry on with the games Brighton have got, it's very realistic they could go down this season. But I think they can do a bit of a Bernie in the sense of they've got a good infrastructure in the club. They have got some good talent coming through. They should absolutely stick with Potter if they do go down. I think they can do a Bernie in the sense of coming back up and then being very stable after that. I think that's very realistic. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think they will stick. I think they will definitely will stick with Potter. Um, and again, um, I think with, with say with Brighton, we have you're right. We have got a lot of good young players out online, like your Ben White, who's been outstanding at Leeds this season. Matt Clark at Portsmouth, uh, at Derby. Um, so there's some really good young talent coming through the club. But um, as well, one I think you have picked the nail on the head. It, it is run very well, but. I think when it comes to us, it's just the senior recruitment. I still think it's been a bit of a disappointment with us. You look at the big money signs that Brighton have made in the Premier League. Adi Yahambash, uh, Jürgen Dekardia, both terrible footballers in my opinion. Um, so they, they've really not, I think with the big the big money they've spent, it's not been great. So I think that's just one area that does need to be looked at is how well we do recruit when it comes to sort of your first team players that you rely a bit more on and you do expect them to hit the ground running um, because yeah there's been a few that have been very have been very poor for us in the Premier League um, and again I think this year whilst Neil Morpay has been great it's another season where we're going to be relying on Glenn Murray to sort of keep us <laughs> up which has been been a case of the last two seasons and I think we saw it against West Ham this season when we came back to draw three Glenn Murray was outstanding again, and whilst it's great how good how well he is still playing at the age of thirty six, and I give him a lot of credit, you can't be relying on that to keep you up. It's just it's just not going to work. So um, I think yeah, just um, if whatever happens next season, I think the recruitment is one area it does need to be looked at for sure. I think you've hit the nail on the head there about Brighton. Is it is, is senior recruitment's the problem? When I look at Brighton, I see so many parallels with Southampton when we came up in terms of really good backroom management really good youth development coming through and a team that is favouring bringing through those players. What we had was a few years where our, our senior recruitment was really good and we followed it up by having absolutely terrible recruitment. I mean, genuinely yeah. dreadful. And I think what you've done is you've skipped those few years where you have the good recruitment and gone straight to the terrible recruitment. Mm. But you've, you've, unlike us, you didn't lose all of your young players in that period as well, which is what happened to us and why we completely lost our identity. So well, that's why I think, I think where, like, um, you've, you've got a bit of an advantage if you've still got time to correct it. <laughs> absolutely. And I think that's where Southampton deserve a little bit more credit. So I'm trying to think now at the top of my head of clubs that have come up from there, have so many players taken away from them. And the, the good players, not just like the, the, not, the not very good ones sort of thing. I mean, the amount of times um, Southampton seem to lose a player like Van Dijk, Mane... Uh, we could be here for for a while. Uh, we've, we've lost the Champions League. Go back, yeah, can you go back Lallana, 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 Lambert when they went? So every year it does seem Southampton do lose some very good players. All the sort of the built up, and it just seems to go. And then to quickly recruit them and get get players in, I think they deserve more credit than they actually get. Southampton. Uh, they've had a few managerial managerial changes, but again, they've all been pretty much the correct the correct managers. I know you could set up one like, was it Manuel Pellegrino? Was it Pellegrino? Pellegrino, Mark Hughes. God, they were terrible. Well, I think Mark Hughes was a sensible decision at the time, given they got, and he, at the end of the day, Hughes got the job done. He kept them up. Just they should, have, given they should never have given it full time, I think that's for sure. Um, but Ralph Hasnuso, I think, is a great manager, and I think he'll be one that I think is, I think he's another one that could, clubs will have their eye on. Um, going forward, not just in England, but in other, or certainly in Germany, I think he'll be one that's a real 
eye-opener because I think he's a great manager. Um, there's a there's a few other clubs as well that like deserve some credit as well. I think I think Bournemouth's another one. That, whilst I'm a bit impartial about giving them a bit of uh, a bit of praise, is to be fair, Eddie Howe's done an exceptional job. And one thing I think Eddie Howe needs to get a lot of credit for is they've had pretty much the same defence until sort of this season where they've had to start bringing through some of the youngsters through. It's been pretty much the same defence every time he's in there, and it's always been a, a pretty mediocre defence. And the fact that they they've kept them up. Well, with ease every season, I think he deserves that extra more credit as well. The thing that annoys me about Bournemouth, though, is they always get a lot more credit than Burnley, despite having done absolutely nothing more than Burnley. And Burnley argued, arguably being a more stable club that spent a lot less money to do it because they play nice football and Eddie Howe's a lot more, I don't know, attractive than Sean Dyke. Yeah. A lot more photogenic. <laughs> yeah, well, I think it's more that we've kind of, yeah, I think whereas Burnley. Sort they sort they sort of go into every game working from the back, so they get their defence in order. They're going to they're not going to concede many goals, and then they're going to worry about the attack. And they keep things very simple at Burnley. Whereas Bournemouth, their idea is to attack, try outscore teams, so to speak. Where naturally it's going to get more praise, isn't it? Like I mean, when you're playing for managers, sort of thing you you love a one nil, an ugly one nil. Most managers love an ugly one nil. Whereas if you're watching a game as a neutral, you're going to love watching a four three win, aren't you? So I think that's where the credit for Bournemouth do get compared to compared to Burnley. It, it's such an interesting sort of as a general point, the way the Premier League is now with some of the sides in it, like your Bournemouth, Burnley's, Brighton, no disrespect to these clubs, but you've got much bigger clubs, you know, Leeds, Aston Villa have only just got promoted after a long time in the Championship, Derby, Nottingham Forest, and the Sheffield clubs, you know, you've got bigger clubs on paper playing in the Championship um, over the last, I'd say, 10 years or so. Um, than the Premier League, and it's 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 such a you know crazy state we're in. Wigan were in the Premier League for a long time. Um, you know Stoke as well. I thought Stoke were brilliant as well over a long over that ten year period or whatever with Pulis and then Mark Hughes coming I in. I love. I think with Stoke as well. I, I I was watching um like a Sky Sports montage the other day of Rory Delaps and Throws and it's anti football in a way. I mean. It works for them, though. I mean, as I say, it's all about whilst, yeah, it may not be the most enjoyable thing to watch, but the Stoke fans you speak to, they loved it. They loved it under Pierce. They're winning games. It's when they stopped doing that, it all started to go a bit wrong. wrong. Yeah, when they started bringing in through the bit of flair, like Bojan, uh, Shakiri on Altovic, it's when... um, It's it's a simple one. It's like, who do you think has more passionate fans, Atletico Madrid under Simeone or Real Madrid under Zidane? It's a Flerco Madrid, obviously, isn't it? That little siege mentality of we are the absolute bastards of football and we love it. Oh, as a, as a as a fan, you can really get into it. Think about how much Chelsea fans love Diego Costa, the arch bastard of football, because everyone else hated him, and that's why they loved him. So I, I, I don't well, think for the fans well. of the actual for the fans of the actual clubs. You don't really mind so much. You kind of end up learning to love it. It's when you're bad and you're not bad for any particular reason or you're just not doing anything of any note, that's when you get miserable. That's where I've got miserable as a Southampton fan. The, the point on the on the bigger clubs, though, is I think these days in the Premier League, because it's so money-driven, those bigger clubs who expect to come up and then, you know, be bigger because they are bigger, they're not going to find that so realistic anymore. Look at Aston Villa for years, having not been able to translate it. Because these days, the amount of fans attending a match and the size of the stadiums doesn't really make much of a difference to income. And the players who are you know, largely coming in foreign or the English players who are now coming through in a very different type of generation, these cl- clubs don't really 
they don't really matter so much anymore. Like Leeds, for most younger fans, most younger players, and for foreign players, don't really matter any more than Stoke. It's, they're not really any more kind of relevant. It's only for a certain generation of English football fan at this point. And I think those clubs are going to maybe learn that a little bit the hard way. But the plus side of Leeds is, of course, they've got Bielsa. Mm. <clears throat> I think as well, um, another club that's just sprung to mind, um, Leicester. I think they're, they're the obvious ones that do spring to mind. But I think Nigel Pearson is the one that deserves an awful lot of credit in the whole, with the way they came up. They looked a bit dead and buried and then he kept them up against, um, obviously... Well, it was a great escape. But even even to be fair, though, that a lot of the games that season, whilst they were losing, they were still playing some very good football. Uh, I remember that Man United game, I think it was, with the, the famous 5-3 win where Cambiasso scored a, a wonder goal. Um, so they, they were a very good team to watch. And I think with Pearson, uh, again, it was obviously... Obviously, it's a fantastic sort of story. The way when he lost his job, no one could believe it. After the the, the wonders he worked, and when Ranieri came in, such a weird appointment. Um, <laughs> I we were saying on the podcast at the time, it was we were laughing, saying it'll be they'll be they could potentially do worse than Derby going into the season, and and yeah, they they were they were outstanding, and well, one that well, the rest is history, as they say. If, if you're looking at teams who came up, and then you know, best promoted sides, not just in the season they got promoted, it's Leicester. Uh, there's no yeah. argument. They won a Premier League the year after they got promoted, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Won a Premier League, and they've now established themselves as, I would say, a top six side. Well, I mean, uh, yeah, I've, I've they did that. what we were trying to do so much better. Mm-hmm. That that's the simple, simplest way of looking at it. They are the club that every newly promoted side at the moment wants to be. So it is them. Mm. Well, that's that was the argument then. That's it. <laughs> It's, I, I, yeah, I, I think the fact though that Leicester are a bit more of an established club though, you compare them to a team like, uh, I know, I know what you've said about, you know, times change and that, but you know, you think about something like the Wiggins and the, the Stokes at it, where, where the, in the nicest possible way, they're nothing clubs and, and what they've done, I think does deserve a lot of credit, but yeah, I, I'm with you, I can't really look past Leicester, um, and, and Sheffield United for a debut season if you, if you want to argue that. I've got to say, Wigan winning the FA Cup is one of my favourite moments in football. Just because what an absolute shithouse team that was. Well, <laughs> the last minute, Wigan, it was just perfect. I think Wigan as well, they deserve a, they certainly deserve a mention, given when they did come up, it was such a shock. I mean, weren't they playing non-league football not too long ago? In, um, or, or They certainly weren't very high up in the Football League pyramid, put it that way. I mean, it's a very small town, Wigan. Um, it's, um, it's obviously a very small town. Me and Shane going a bit of local geography, but it's probably, what, the same size as Crawley? Yeah, similar size, <laughs> um, I think. So it's a very small place. Lovely place, though. Some great pubs in Wigan, I will, I will say. But... Um, but no, I mean, for the, for when they first came in, I mean, that one, that, their first game in the Premier League, where they played against the reigning champions, Chelsea, and what a game it was. They really troubled Chelsea as well. And then there was that heartbreak, that wonder goal by a man Crespo, I believe it was, the last the last minute, which was, um, they sort of had Mourinho go up to Paul Jewell. But um, the whole year then, I believe that Ian Wigan, they were, they were troubling the big boys. They gave a lot of the big boys run for their money. And for Arsenal away, they played them off the park and then considered two late goals at the Emirates. So to keep them up. And then they stayed in the Premier League for, obviously for a while until uh, they beat United. Uh, and that's yeah, sorry. They beat United as well with Ferguson there. I remember yeah, that. Um, they certainly did. And, um, and uh, they did and the best well, relegation ever, win an FA Cup and well, go down. Hell, I'd take that. As a Saints fan, if you said next season you can win an FA Cup and get relegated, I'd be like, yeah, let's go straight down. I'm going to enjoy it. 
Oh, I, I, I had, we had this last season. I generally said um, when we got to the semi-finals, I would take relegation for the FA Cup. It may not be the the, the, the smartest thing to do. Well, it certainly isn't the smartest thing to say. <laughs> my, my way of looking at it was I've seen Brighton get promoted. It was a fantastic occasion. I've never seen them win the FA Cup in my life. So I've never seen us win a trophy in our lifetime. Well, a cup, sorry, I should say. Never seen us win a cup in our lifetime. Imagine that. It'll be a memory of, for a lifetime. It'll be it, literally that. That would be one as they say, telling the grandkids, it would be an absolute moment you would never forget. And then, above all, it would be a European tour as well. And it would just be amazing, whereas going to the Premier League, going to the same old grounds week in, week out. Um, obviously, when you go to the big six, it's never fun because you, you're playing for a, a nil-nil. Um, that was my logic. Again, it's not probably the intelligent thing to say with Oliver that you lose so much money by dropping out of the league. You need to stay in the best league possible. But... I want to yeah. win the effort. Football's about the moment, though, isn't it? It's like exactly. you, don't, you don't go, you don't get blind drunk celebrating a 13th place finish, do you? Partying with all your mates for an FA Cup win. Yeah, of course you're going to do. Well, that. that's the thing. I mean, last year when we when we beat Millwall on penalties, it was one of the best games I've ever watched live. It was incredible, and I've never celebrated a goal like it when the free kick went in right at the end. And um, but if you compare that to celebrating a, a last minute goal on the last day at Burnley to end 14th in the league, it's just not. <laughs> the moments are just not gonna. They're not gonna compare. Now, a last-minute goal to avoid relegation, uh, I'm sure would compare. Maybe. Yeah, that's no, a little that's bit. Like, yeah, that's a little bit like a trophy, though, isn't it? No, I'll give you that. Last-minute goal to start up is, and I, I remember watching, obviously watching the match of the day um, on Saturday, which was fantastic. That West Brom survival game. That would have been an incredible day for the fans at the Hawthorns that day when they started out when they're rock bottom. It was. Well, it was looking like they were the obvious ones to drop down and they somehow stayed up. That was an incredible last day. And um, and again, I think we're talking about club. I don't know if it was, they, was, that, was that did the year before they come up? Did they get promoted the year before? I think they did. Or yeah, was that's another year before that. Well, I think they're another good club you can use as an example just for that season alone when they managed to stay up under under Brian Robson. Um, mm. Incredible. And... Um, but yeah, that, that I think you put a good point there, Anthony. I think, yeah, staying up on the last day with a last-minute goal or what have you, uh, in the way West Brom did it as well, that would probably be a cup. That would probably compare, at least compare with a cup final moment. St- yeah, staying up on the last day is the equivalent of winning the playoffs final. That's yeah, it is. No, it is. We, uh, we, I, I, will, I will give you that, yeah. No, I, I can only that. tell you how it feels to lose a playoff final and it's fucking sickening. I've been there. QPR as well, the twats. Bobby Zamora, though, the best striker to ever live. Oh, fuck. <laughs> I think we're ending the show there. <laughs> oh, I, think, I think we've reached the end of the show. <laughs> no, no, I'm happy to end it on Bobby Zamora, the best striker who ever lived. Yeah. Yep, definitely. So thanks for listening to the show. Um, we're on Facebook and Twitter. If you search Goals Allowed Podcast, you can find us on both of them. Um, also check out our friends over at 606v2.com. Uh, they're a, a sports forum. We discuss sports, politics, and all manner of other things, whatever you want. Um, thanks, for, thanks for joining us tonight for the show. Um, it's goodbye from me and goodbye from Nick and Shane. Good night. Good night.